You are listening to the Phenom World Football Show on the Phenom Media Podcast Network, powered by the most passionate young sports analyst in the game. If you're looking for creative, informative, and high-quality sports content, you've come to the right place. Phenom Media boasts a team of over 100 youth contributors from around the world, covering every sport on every media platform. Make sure to follow Phenom on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as all of the Phenom podcast channels for daily content. The link tree in the episode description includes a direct link to all of the aforementioned platforms, so click on that to access everything. If you enjoy the episode, make sure to subscribe and leave a positive review so more people can discover the podcast. Now, let's get to the show. Welcome to episode 13 of the Phenom World Football Show. I'm Mihir Ved, back at it again with my boys Noah Frankel and Josh Burrows. Welcome to the show, boys. How are you guys doing? Doing well, Mihir. Thanks for having us again. <laughs> yeah, ready to go. Yeah, all right. So quickly, get into it. Not wasting any time. Liverpool versus Man United. Biggest game of the Premier League season this far, I think. Um, 0-0 draw. A little disappointed. Not that entertaining. Could have been great. Um, what do you guys think about it? Um, here, uh, if I'm going to be honest, I, I, know it, I know it ended in a nil-nil draw, but I got to say that I did enjoy the game simply because of the pure talent on both sides. Um, I think you got a lot of skill in Rashford and in Bruno, you know, guys like that. And then on the other side, you know, they have, they have been struggling. You know, you have Salah, you have Mane. Um, it ended in a nil-nil draw. There was fantastic goalkeeping by both De Gea and Allison, but um, I enjoyed it. I think, you know, this both runs by each team could go pretty deep, you know, come May, come June. Um, but, you know, time will tell. So, yeah, I think it was a good game overall, and, you know, hopefully we can, you know, see more of that competitiveness elsewhere in the season. Yeah, I think both teams kind of – I wouldn't say – obviously it was a nil-nil draw, so – and both teams had chances, so not necessarily played the perfect game, but they both played their game plans, right? You know, United kind of sat back. Liverpool had a majority of the possession, but United, uh, they break off the counterattack. We know that's how Ole likes to run his run his team. And you're right, Josh, that the goalkeeping was, was unbelievable. And how far has De Gea come from United fans ready for – to? kill the guy and get him to leave and yesterday was phenomenal right, so yeah. liverpool mm-hmm. started off hot united got better as the game went on but yeah zero zero and also just quick note united this is just continuing their their inability to win big games they're they lost 6-1 against spurs tied chelsea zero zero lost against arsenal one nothing tied city and Liverpool 0-0, so that might be something to look look to as the season goes on. Obviously, it's disappointing to see United, you know, sit back and park the bus more than trying to attack and win these big games. But bringing it back to the point about the goalkeeping, Alex Lund was fantastic. You guys talking about De Gea. You know, I didn't see De Gea do that much yesterday, to be honest, because I was more surprised and very – I was happy – 
to see Maguire and Lindelof held down the back. They were very – Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire specifically had a hell of a day. Um, both of them with men of the match performances in my eyes. I think Maguire ended up taking it home. But, you know, for the criticism they get and for the criticism that back line gets, the past couple of months, it seems, they've been fairly consistent and holding it down. I think United's gone over a year unbeaten on the road. Playing at Anfield's no easy task. Um, so I'm giving credit to Maguire and Shaw. I was initially shocked that Baye didn't start over Lindelof, but, you know, Lindelof held his ground. He played great. So when it comes to goalkeeping, Allison did his thing, but De Gea didn't even have that much trouble with that back line playing solid. Yeah, and just to note me here, um, you know, before I move forward, um, actually last year in the Premier League season for 2019-2020, Victor Lindelof was actually the one defender who was not dribbled, dribbled past by. once in the entire season. Um, and like you said, I, you know, I think he really showed uh, why he's the owner of that stat. And uh, Well, I mean – that's that's a little that stat doesn't represent who he is in my opinion because he made some boneheaded plays last year, yeah. so it, it, that that stat doesn't mean too much in my eyes. You know, it's just about consistency. Right. I you think know. I think the criticism Shaw is, what well, I mean, it's warranted. He Shaw, had, Shaw. Ever since Tellez has been signed, he's been in the form of his life. So once again, no, that goes great. But I'm just saying that. I think that the criticism of fans, and same with De Gea, I mean, I think that it's fair. I'm glad that he's playing, mm-hmm. you know, not actually glad, but he's playing better, which is great for Man U fans. Um, but, yeah, you just hope that this is the real Luke Shaw and not the guy that loses just the ball. Just in form, yeah. So that's United's issues. You know, United has some consistency issues, winning big games. Hopefully it's something they turn around. Big FA Cup matchup next weekend with Liverpool once again. Um, have hopefully try and win a title, get a trophy under Ole. But coming from United's issues into Liverpool's issues, three straight Premier League games with no goals. And in the past, like, five or six games they've played, the only time they've had, like, a scoring rampage is those four against the Aston Villa kids in the FA Cup. So they seem all out of sorts right now. What do you guys think is attributing to their, you know, final third issues? Um, well, Mihir, I think, I mean, a lot of it right now, again, I mean, we saw it against West Brom, where West Brom was almost playing a 9-2 formation against them. You know, they were dropping back. And I think Liverpool has kind of inherited that style of play almost, you know, not with nine people in the back. But they've definitely been sitting back a little bit, not trying to attack um, with Van Dijk out. Um, I know that his effects aren't really seen as much, you know, in the goal scoring category because he's a defender. But I do think that, you know, Liverpool is not as I, – I just don't see the creativity in them that I've seen, you know, in the past, in the past campaign with them, you know, in the first half of the season. And so I think that – you know, Van Dyke's a key part to that. I don't know what else, but, you know, just to see them struggling, I think there's a lot to do with the lack of creativity, you know, with their front three. So, you know, who it's, knows where that could go. With Liverpool, it's not like they're losing games, like 2 3 nothing either. It's one nothing, no no games. And, you know, even with the loss of Van Dyke, I'm giving credit to Fabinho especially, who has been an absolute rock for them at center back. I know last week I criticized him without any knowledge of him actually being in insane form at center back um as well as that a guy having a guy like Thiago back from injury he's just a complete playmaker on the field he holds down that number six role for Liverpool 
and he gets things going for them, you know, the final third, you expect more from Salah, Firmino, and Mane. And Noah, I'm going to bring it to a point that you were discussing with us pre-pod. Is Roberto Firmino done as an elite scoring number nine? And you can talk about that along with your other thoughts about Liverpool. I, I think so. Um, he's, look, I think that he's very good at getting the ball and coming, like stopping the, stopping the play and finding an outlet pass. But I just, I don't see him as the guy that's gonna, that you can rely on to score a bunch of goals. I mean, this might be completely wrong, but hasn't he only scored like once or twice at home in the last like two years? Right. No, yeah. No, it's literally, I mean, he just, he, his form, you, he used to be relied on by Liverpool to score a bunch of goals. I don't think that's his role anymore. It's more of the um, come in and then play it out to Saleh, to Salah or Mane. So like a but, false nine, right? Yeah, like a false I've nine. I've always considered him to be a false nine. So like you called him an elite scoring nine. He used yeah. to he used to be able to be relied on though to score mm-hmm. the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but I think that it goes past that. I mean, their midfield play has just not been good enough to on the offensive end on defensively they've been fairly fairly good but I mean in the last what is it last 18 in 18 games they've managed just three assists from midfield right yeah I can't like I think Josh said it lack of creativity yeah you know something's gotta happen like again like I know Tiago you know he sits a little bit but look I think I think more creativity and you know just Again, Firmino is a key part of that, considering that he's in the center. You know, I think something eventually will click for Liverpool. I just don't know how it's going to click. And it's unfortunate for them because their creative playmakers who are Fabinho, Jordan Henderson, are not playing those midfield roles. They're the ones that have to drop in and play center back, that are playing those emergency center back roles, leaving guys like Curtis Jones to step up. Yesterday, Shaqiri started to step up. They they haven't been able to, you know, match up. And that could also attribute to Noah, you brought up again, the loss of Diogo Jota, right? Yeah. I mean, he is – He was the big goal scorer. There was the he was the big goal scorer. And, and since he's been out, Liverpool's just won twice in their last seven games, and they failed to score in three of them. I mean, that's just – that's telling. What an he, impact. I know Klopp, he rose above Origi, and he, he's the guy that Klopp likes to have is the fourth – you think of him, he's like, oh, he's just the fourth forward. But, I mean, it speaks for itself that they're not – they haven't been successful without him. Right. So I think that's sure. big. But uh, yeah. also – Blow for Liverpool, but, you know, moving forward. Yeah, also, just quick note. I mean, we, we've we seen teams now go for all the attacking players. Like, let's sign – like Chelsea, let's just sign a billion attacking forwards or players or wingers. But Liverpool has great forwards. And once one guy on defense goes out, it changes everything because you have to mm-hmm. sit back and you have to do a bunch of different stuff. So maybe it's possible that teams see this and they're like, oh, maybe we have to start investing more in defense because they have plenty of attacking players. Yep. And still they're struggling to score because of defense. So, well, there's United, fun. there's Liverpool. You know, we'll see how things go on with the title race. You know, I think us three just agreed before the podcast that Manchester City still going to run away it seems with this league, they seem like the most consistent and built team to capture that title. And going from Prem, we're going to go to a shocking uh, upset in the Spanish Super Cup final with Athletic Bilbao beating Barcelona 3-2 in extra time. 
with Lionel Messi getting his first career red card as a member of Barcelona, which is 17 years, it seems. So, Josh, thoughts on everything that went down in that game? Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think it really, you know, the game escaped Barca's hands. They were up 2-1 in the 89th minute. By final time, it was 2-2. And then going into extras, it was ending up being 3-2 with an Inaki Williams goal, which was fantastic. I don't know if you guys see, uh, saw it. Unreal. But outside the box, you know, hits the post, goes in. It was beautiful. Um, but I think that Messi, you know, comes to show that Messi is, in fact, human, first of all. Um, he may be one of the best players of this generation. And to note, think that he's never gotten a red card or been sent off in his career. Uh, it's pretty amazing. I think that it's possible he would have been a key for them in extra time. No, it was um, at, he got the red at like a minute ago. Right, right. Yeah, no, he got it very late. Um, I don't know if he would have been the X factor considering there are other guys who can produce goals for them. You know, guys like Frankie de Jong who has been, uh, you know, turning it up as of late. You know, other guys, I just think that, you know, Messi could have played a key part in that game. It slipped away from them and – Bilbao pulls off an impressive campaign, beating uh, Madrid in the semifinals, and then Barca in the finals. So, uh, credit to them. I don't think there's too much to worry about with Barcelona, but it was definitely a very interesting game, uh, and it kept me on my toes. So, I enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, look, this is Barca. We've seen this from Barca all year. They're just not playing as well as you typically expect Barca to play. Uh, it's I, th- I really do think it's just the whole year, everyone knows Messi wants out. Everyone knows he's the best player and he's being forced to play. And I think that also goes to some of the frustration. I'm not going to say it's a direct cause of the red card, but that's not mess. That's just not something Messi does, you know, and this year in a year where it was very ugly between him and the former club president before the year started, we've seen Barca's struggles, I do think it has a lot to do with the fact that they're – I mean, Messi's considered the leader of that team. So when you have a leader who doesn't want to be playing or leading – I mean, the rest of the team has to understand that. And they've struggled, so I'm, I'm not incredibly surprised that they kind of laid an egg against an inferior opponent. But we'll see how they go in Champions League and see if they can perform well, there. Well, something I took from that game yesterday is – the players from Athletic Bilbao throughout the game were, one, going down very easily, and two, constantly throughout the game were just targeting Messi, like as in to, you know, antagonize him, get in his head, and clearly it worked towards the end of the game. But even on the play where he got the red, it's clear. So Messi plays a ball out. He's just running. He's making his own run, and there's a dude just, like, on him, you know, like body checking him, man marking him to the extreme. Doesn't even have the ball. He's just making a run. And for a guy like Messi, who's been through, probably had so many defenders, you know, try and get in his head the past 20 years, for him to break at this moment just shows you, like, yeah, Josh said everyone's human, but I kind of like to see this side from him. Like, he's dealt with this his entire career. Why not? Like, dude, you know, like, F off. Like, are you kidding me? It wasn't, if you have to watch the play over, I mean, it was no intention of the defender actually defending. It was just to antagonize Messi. So I feel like Wes, Messi, why, why, why not? 
Why not huh. get mad? He can show emotion. I also think teams playing them, especially now, I mean, the days of Messi, Suarez, Neymar, where you have three just elite forwards on the squad, that's over. And so squads, uh, these other teams know, look, if you can contain Messi by any means possible, you're probably going to win the game. They're just not – they don't have the elite talent necessary. I mean, obviously relative relative to how they've been in the past. Clearly, they have solid players, but they don't have the same amount of talent, so it's easier to defend. Yeah, no, definitely I agree. I just think that, you know, for a team where they're so reliant on Messi to produce for them, whether it be in the goals column or the assist column, um, I just think that – it's hard for a Barcelona team right now to produce significantly with people like Griezmann struggling, but, um, you know, we'll see how that plays out in the future. But Yeah, we'll see. You know, Barca's still in it for La Liga, but, you know, Atletico seems to be comfortable with their lead in that. Um, now, something I wanted to discuss and get into quickly, there's, a, there's been a, an abundant amount of COVID outbreaks especially I've seen in the Prem. I'm not sure how it is in the other leagues. I'm sure it's there. Um, It's disappointing to see because we all want to watch football and hope there's a full season. You know, they're already doing so many um, extreme things to limit players. You know, this week they added no more group celebrations after goals. Do you think these COVID outbreaks have the potential to derail all these seasons or, you know, cancel them or delay them? Um, I think that we've seen it before, especially in other, you know, non-football leagues or things like that, that, you know, with stricter guidelines and containing where these people, where these players move and where they go and who they um, hang out with, I think that you can really limit um, the people they interact with and you can continue the season, permitting that, you know, people follow these guidelines and people actually you know, follow certain protocols. Um, so I think it can continue. I think that soccer, again, a universal sport, that it is going to continue just because people play everywhere. Um, maybe international, not international competitions, but continental competitions such as um, the cha- like the Champions League or something like that, or, you know, the AFCON or something like that. Maybe those tournaments won't happen or those competitions won't happen. But I do think domestic competitions should and will continue. No. Yeah, I think that we've seen – I know it's tough to compare. That's like the Premier League, for example, with Major League Baseball in the United States. Like, you can't really. But just from the mindset of the owners, we had – I mean, the Marlins and a bunch of teams in baseball had serious outbreaks. And, look, these leagues just want to plow forward. I mean, they had fans. They had fans at Chelsea game just like a couple of weeks ago. I I can't see it. Which was premature, because no, of course I yeah. I just see it closing. I look. I'm. It's tough to predict with COVID. Obviously, stuff bad stuff has been happening, and it, numbers are getting worse. Even though vaccines are coming out soon, which hopefully yeah. is administered. But look, I, I just can't right now see anything besides look like josh said i can't see any of the domestic leagues stopping yeah you know it, it's at this point so like the united kingdom's in a lockdown right now and they decided for this lockdown to keep elite sport 
So I think a lot of it has to do with the players. It's on the players' shoulders to be responsible as, as responsible as they can be to ensure that the season goes on. You know, Aston Villa is four games, you know, they have four games in hand and it's just, it's unfortunate, but I hope, I, I could see a delay coming in a couple of these leagues soon, maybe for a couple of weeks, a month, but I hope not. Um, We'll see what happens, and God forbid anyone has another outbreak. Um, now we're just going to get into some quick notes from football across Europe in the past weekend, past week. First thing, biggest thing I wanted to hit on, Mesut Ozil. Finally, contract terminated from Arsenal to Fenerbahce. Did I say it right, Josh? Yes, you did. All right. So quick thoughts on that. Big thing, in my opinion, because we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I think it, I think I think it was um, way overdue. Uh, should have happened, you know, much earlier. I think Ozil is happy to be there, and the support group, the not support group, but the fan base of Fenerbahce is happy to have him. I think he's going to do great in Turkey. I think he's going to continue to be the assisting playmaking player that he always and once was. Yeah, I'm. I'm just like Josh said. I'm just happy for the guy. I, it was just I, – I, I still don't understand why Arteta didn't give him a better shot at Arsenal, but I guess that ship has sailed. Uh, so, yeah, just happy for the guy. Yeah, happy is the only way to describe it. Good for him. Gets out of a toxic situation and, you know, hopefully ends his career with some bliss in Turkey and hopefully even the United States he'll come to play in the MLS. Right. Um, next, I want to get into another little transfer news. Uh, Luka Jovic. Loaned back to Frankfurt, and in his debut with Frankfurt again, scores two goals in like 30 minutes of play as a sub, coming off as a sub. Good to see him back in form and, you know, back into action. Yeah. Um, per- look, personally, I really enjoyed seeing Jovic back in form so quickly. Um, with his, you could call it a home club because he, he was there for so long and he was so successful there, you know, that five-goal game. It's really nice, and it comes. It really is nice to have a fan base behind you that supports you, you know, that cheers you on. And I think that's what Jovic finds at Frankfurt. Um, he feels at home with Germany, and there's something about Germany that resonates with him, and I think that has what, that is what has allowed him to be so successful with this team. And I don't, I expect him to continue that way. And now they have the same goal scoring machine that he was before his Real Madrid days, but they're 50 million euros uh, richer. So I think it's great for Frankfurt, a smaller club that is struggling a little bit in Bundesliga. I don't know if they're going to end up with that Europa league or even Champions league spot. But it's nice to see Jovic back there scoring goals for Frankfurt, and I'm happy for him. And, you know, even though it's on a loan and he's not getting a new contract or anything like that, he's doing what he loves, which is the game of football, and he's doing well at it. So props to him. My only concern with this is now, I'm sure talk's already arising, is he actually big club worthy? Because he didn't succeed at all, whether it was the fit, the situation, whatever it was, he didn't succeed at Madrid. Coming back to a smaller club seems more comfortable for him. Does he end up going to a Premier League team, like a mid-tier team, something like that? I, I, you know, I love to see it, like a guy like him succeed. Great business by Frankfurt. 
But I want to see him take the next step. I don't know where that is because I know United denied the chance to take him on loan before the season started. I don't know how he would have done. You know, he still has yet to prove himself as a big game player. He's played with a mid-tier team in the Bundesliga. It's not too impressive. It's just this individual stats that have made it impressive. But, you know, we'll move on to another Bundesliga quick news. You know, not Bundesliga. It was in the DFB Pokal Cup. Pokal, I have no idea if I said that right, to be honest. But Giants, Bayern Munich, lose to second division Holstein Kiel in penalties. I, I, when I saw that, I was in shock. That's another thing where you just root for the small club and you're like, oh my goodness, they just took down the best team in the world. Mm, I, I don't know what's not clicking for Bayern at the moment, but that's multiple losses in the first few right, weeks of they 2021. They have lost more times in 2021 than they did in last calendar year, which is insane. Nothing going on, but you know, I still think that they can succeed in the Champions League. Maybe not. Um, but we saw this with Barcelona, where the big club gets taken down by a smaller club, although not as small as a second division team. Um, good for Kiel. Uh, you know, it's it's amazing for the club for their publicity, and uh, you know, hopefully something good. You know, something's happening with Bayern that they can fix. But again, only time will tell with that. You know, I just don't think that it's going to be a trend for them throughout the entire season. Yeah, I mean, this is this just screams the classic case of big club looking forward in their schedule and just take and just not really thinking that it would be a big challenge for them. You know, this, I mean, Bayern is, there's no doubt that Bayern's better than this team. Bayern, I think is best team in Germany by far. Um, and I don't know. I just think that they didn't take advantage. They, they let the other team take advantage of them. Holstein Kiel obviously went there and they were, those guys want to play the best games of their life. We talked about this with Marine AFC last week. These guys <laughs> have an opportunity to play against a team like Bayern Munich and make a name for themselves. Now, maybe guys, not make a name for themselves, but just have a hell of a time, you know? Yeah, but also make a name. <laughs> some of these guys that played well in this game, some, I mean, those are the biggest moments of some of these guys' career. They're in the for second, sure, for sure. Playing the tournament against Bayern. That's huge. So, yep. you're right, Mahir. I always want to root for the small club in that situation, so. Yeah. Yeah, you know, another big game that happened in Europe is Syria. Huge game yesterday. Inter Milan takes a 3-2 win over Juventus. I'm going to be honest, and I'm sure you guys didn't either. I didn't really watch the game. I didn't get the chance to see the highlights. All I know is that it pushes Juventus, you know, further from that top spot. And it's great for me, in my opinion, to see that there's a new – sense of competition in Serie A because that league what is it Juventus won eight straight years or something it's boring to watch now you have AC Milan Inter Milan you know Napoli all competing it's great to see that you know I no more front runner one team oh it's it's freaking awesome I love it Juve you're right Juve runs away with it every year and it's boring it's so boring it's basically like uh the French league where PSG usually just wins it like, mm-hmm. you, you don't even have to focus on it during the year. Yeah, which made that, like, that 2016-17 run by Monaco so special is that PSG yeah. was winning every year. So you Exactly. Know. This is just – I mean, there's – and the quality of clubs are good, too. Inter's yeah. a solid, solid club. Milan's a club that has so much history, obviously. So, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, I, I've seen some, Juve, some Juventus game 
games this year. I think they're such a better team with McKinney on the field than off the field. But that's, I mean, maybe that's just American bias. But I, I love seeing competition in leagues. And so it's nice to see that in a league besides, usually it's just La Liga and Premier League that are contested. And then the rest of the league is kind of, oh, you expect Ajax to win. Uh, you expect PSG to win. You expect Juve to win. So it's nice to see com- some competition. For sure. And now, uh, Josh, you have anything? or? No, yeah, I was just going to say that Inter has been playing very strong. I think, you know, AC Milan, especially with that defeat to Juventus, um, it you know, it's going to hurt them in the long run. I can see Inter running away with this, especially at the top. That's AC Milan's only loss the like the past year though. Is that what? Juve? AC Milan was unbeaten before that Juventus lost. Right, so they're no, they're still in good shape. Right, you know? right. But Inter is in person. Right, and right now I believe Inter is up on AC Milan in goal differential. Ah, okay, um, okay. So, uh, yeah, AC Milan drew a lot, drew a lot of games. So uh, I think with the attacking core of Lukaku and Martinez, I do think they're going to run away with it. You have playmakers like Barella who really work through the middle well. Um, so it's definitely going to be an exciting Serie A season. No, I like that take about Inter Milan because also we got to remember they're not in the Champions League and they they finished last in their group, so they don't even have Europa League. So all eyes for them are on winning Serie A and probably for Conte saving his job is to win the Serie A. Right. So 100%. more motivation for them to take that you know take that title and move on. But uh, yeah, you know one more thing we got a couple minutes left. Wayne Rooney retired. Just want to congratulate him. I know he's listening to the pod, so um, uh, congratulate Please. Wayne. You know, he was uh, one of the main reasons I grew up and kept following United. He's gone. He's retired. He's going to manage Derby County now. We'll see if he can lead them to promotion or something. That would be phenomenal. Imagine Wayne, you know, managing a Prem team would be something. But, uh, yeah, so good for Wayne. What a career. And I want to go into a little game this week. Not too much of a game. Just straight up game predictions and scores. I picked out three games. Um, first game, I think, is tomorrow or on Wednesday. Leicester said he's playing Chelsea. Give me a score prediction and who's the man of the match. Oof. I got a 3-0 win for Leicester City. Oh, With geez. James Madison knocking home a brace for the Foxes. I like that take. Noah? Very bold. I'm going to go Leicester City 2-0. Okay. Uh, I don't. Uh, men of the match. That's got. That's gonna be tough. I don't got. I don't have a man of the match for you. But okay. I. I think that Chelsea's just. They're struggling. I don't know yeah, what. They're out of sync. It's tough to, like. I think that Chelsea should beat Leicester, but it's a, It's tough in, to pick Chelsea when until they show that they're back. You know. Yep. You know, big game. Big game for Leicester. All, big game for Leicester. It's you know. huge for Leicester and huge for Chelsea. Yep. If Chelsea wants to get back into this thing, they have to start beating some of these better clubs. For sure, for sure. You know, I'm going to take Leicester 2-1, and I have Vardy slotting home a late winner. I think it's going to be a competitive game. You know, Chelsea's motivated to, you know, get trying. I mean, they're not informed, but they're motivated to try and get back into the race. Leicester's trying to solidify themselves as a legitimate team this year. And I just have it being an all-around tight game. Might be a little boring at times, but I have Vardy, you know, slotting one home late, take home man of the match. Um, second game. Big game in the Bundesliga, title race, uh, even top four race. Uh, Dortmund versus Leverkusen. What do you think, Noah? Yeah, uh, I- I'm going Dortmund win. I love – I just – the way they play with Holland on the pitch is so much better than the form that we saw them earlier in the season. So, I'm going to go Dortmund. I'm going to go 3-1. Uh, 
uh, I think that Dortmund could pick up where they left off last year, where they're just offensively, they're really good and they just put so much pressure on the other team. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go against Noah and I'm going to say either a 1 1 or a 2 2 draw. Okay. Um, just because I think Leverkusen um, has been pretty strong lately, especially with Jamaican Leon Bailey. Um, he has been really good this season. And, uh, you know, I, I agree that, you know, Holland is really is a game changer for them, but I don't see their struggles. I don't see their struggles turning around so fast. Got you. I'm going to go, I'm going to go statement win for Dortmund here. Um, I'm going to go four nil. I think, you know, they're, they've been informed ever since they've hired their new coach and, you know, Holland's back, he's doing his thing. And I think this is a game where they can just take control from the start. And, you know, if Holland gets going, if Sancho gets going, they're all in form right now. They can run over Leverkusen and solidify themselves. Um, and actually, I, the last game I was going to ask you about is Manchester City versus Aston Villa. But I'm going to switch that because City, I think we all agree, would win. Villa's still coming back from the COVID outbreak. It's a mess. I'm going to take it to Liverpool. Liverpool is playing Burnley. I don't know, you know, especially against West Brom, the way they played. They lost to Southampton. It seems they're struggling. You know, is there a potential upset or a point no. that each team splits no. or is Liverpool going to no. take home? Nope, don't worry. Don't worry about it. I think Liverpool is going to, you know, kick right back into the stride. Yeah, I think that the key is, like we talked about earlier, where they have to compensate for the loss of Van Dyke and play so defensively. I think that against these clubs that aren't as – don't have as many players, uh, like skill-wise, that are of the same quality as Liverpool, they don't have to worry as much against a Man United uh, so they can go forward and play like they do. So I, I just think that against top top-tier teams, they're going to mm -hmm. struggle. But against these bottom teams, they're going to – I, I think Burnley's going to park the bus similar to West Brom, and I think Burnley's going to come over with a point. I'm, I'm going to take a 0-0 draw. I, I really don't think Liverpool, if you drop nine back like Big Sam did for West Brom, they're not, they're not getting by. I think it'll be like a 0-0 draw again, and it'll cause absolute pandemonium in the Premier League and more criticism towards Liverpool, which we all love. We all love. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Good show, boys. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Wrap it up. Episode 13, the Phenom World Football Show. Josh, Noah, signing Until off. Until next time. See ya.